a couple of things uh, before diving in here. Um, when uh, anytime you're talking about God's intentions or God's high hopes or the way God sees it or the way God wants it to be, and then we begin to measure ourselves against that, there's always the potential for just the shame of I don't measure up. Um, and I just want to tell you tonight, as we're, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about sex and sexuality, and uh, can I just like throw a blanket over the whole room right now and say, everybody in the room, we all don't measure up. Um, particularly in the area of, of sex and sexuality and sexual brokenness. Um, what it says in Romans, that, that all of sin and falls short of the glory of God, seems to especially apply in that area. So um, um, can we all just own that together? And can we also just own the reality that, that in Jesus there's always a fresh start? Um, that whatever is in your past is under that blanket of forgiveness that Jesus extends to you. Um, so be encouraged. If, uh, if somewhere along the way tonight you think, man, I messed that up, um, then just rest underneath the blanket of forgiveness and trust Jesus to make that new and let's get on with it from here. Um, second thing I want to share with you just before getting in is... Um, I think sometimes you feel, we feel handicapped in dealing with relationships, dating, marriage, sex, sexuality, um, just because we didn't know what we needed to know along the way, or maybe we didn't see it modeled the way we needed to see it modeled along the way. Um, when, uh, when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with a couple, there's usually a point where I say some version of this statement that... Um, that, that, that we've all, uh, that use typically a 22, 23-year-old couple, <laughs> I'll say, well, you've been in marriage and family class with professor, mom, and dad for the last 22, 23 years, and you've learned a lot. And a lot of what you've learned maybe is good, but some of what you've learned maybe isn't so good, and maybe you need to unlearn. If you feel a little handicapped by where you've come from, either something in your past or even the way it was modeled or wasn't modeled at home growing up, um, there is so much grace to meet you where you are, to equip you and give you what you need, to be the sex prophet that God made you to be. So speaking of sex prophet, did you know? Did you even know that, that you're a sex prophet? Um, a guy named Christopher West, he's a writer. Um, according to Christopher West, all questions of sex ethics come down to this. All questions of sex ethics come down to this. Does this sexual activity make me a true prophet or a false prophet of the God who created us male and female? You see, the marriage of male and female was meant by God to be an object lesson to the world, uh, that the marriage of a man and woman would somehow communicate to the world around that God desires to marry us, to be that intimately connected with us. Um, so... Your handling of your sexuality um, is a prophetic statement about the God who created us, male and female. Uh, whether that's in the context of a dating relationship or in the context of marriage, or if it's just in the context of, of, uh, of singleness, temporary or ongoing, um, the way you handle your sexuality is a prophetic statement 
about the God who created us, male and female. Let that sink in. And then let's ask the question, so am I a true prophet or am I a false prophet? Hard to be a true prophet. Um, and tonight we're going to do some Bible study to start with out of 1 Corinthians 6, a passage that helps us with this business of being a true prophet, a true sex prophet. Sounds like the name of a band. Daniel, maybe your band, Daniel? Not this band. Daniel's got another band. First Corinthians six eleven. And I want to start with a verse that's obviously in the middle of a paragraph, obviously in the middle of, of some previous thought. But I want to start with, with 1 Corinthians 6, 11 that says this. Some of you were once like that. And we'll get to that in a minute. But you were cleansed, washed, you were made holy, sanctified, you were made right with God, justified by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some of you once were like that, but you were cleansed, washed, made holy, made right by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So here's, uh, here's help, hope, and honesty uh, meeting us in our brokenness and offering us the remedy that we need. Um, so if we take this personally, um, we see that the practice of brokenness, particularly the practice of sexual brokenness, makes the list of things we used to be but no longer are in Christ. And that's in the few verses prior to that. So back to verse 9, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The three truths that, uh, that I want to be sure that, that we don't miss because these three true truths will help you be a true sex prophet. First, the kingdom is the goal. In verse 9, the kingdom is the goal. Paul is not talking about rules and he's not talking about laws. He's not talking about legalism. He's not talking about re religiousism. Um, he's saying that the kingdom of God runs on a different set of values from the world around us. Um, and that the old practices that were coming quite naturally to the Corinthian Christians and the old practices that come quite naturally to us are incongruent with the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom is the goal. The second truth not to miss here is that we are prone to not kingdom ways. We are prone to not kingdom ways. Um, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Um, from love divine, all love's excelling. Another hymn, it says, take away our bent to sinning. We're just prone, bent, prone to wander, bent 
toward not kingdom ways. All right, so what Paul intends, what is intended here in this short laundry list that he, that he names, um, is not calling out and singling out a few particular sins or brokennesses. He's not elevating these above or, or like making them any worse than, than others. What he's doing is he's speaking to stuff that he knows about the church in Corinth. He, he knows his people there, and he knows what they're dealing with. And so he's talking to them about what's going on there in Corinth. And he, uh, he drops at least four um, sexy words in the list, and all four of these can be bottom-lined with this phrase, that sexual expression outside of biblical boundaries is inconsistent with the kingdom of God. Sexual expression outside of biblical boundaries is inconsistent with the kingdom of God. Of God. That's how the Bible reports God's intention for creation. Back to Genesis 1 and 2, God created humanity in His image, and, and it was male and female, just essentially. And, in, and then out of that creation, God created marriage, this mystical one-flesh relationship where, where woman and man come together, and, and the coming together creates this covenant of marriage. And that's how the Bible reports God's essential vision for sex and sexuality. Paul gets specific. He uses four particular words. One is uh, it's just translated sexual sin in the New Living. Um, it's just a broad word for sexual immorality. Just kind of a, uh, anything, uh, w- whatever. It kind of covers the whole waterfront. Um, he uses the word adultery, which is some sexual expression involving a married person and a not married person. And so it's considered to be a, a violation of the marriage covenant. Adultery is the technical word there. Um, he singles out male prostitutes and not so much to, 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 uh, to let female prostitutes off the hook either. I think, I think it would include both. But there was something particular going on that he was speaking to in that situation. And then he speaks to homosexuality, the practice of homosexuality as being on this list. Key word there is practice. Um, the Bible never says anywhere that the inclination, the feeling, the desire is in itself sin. Um, perhaps we could understand that as, as brokenness. It's not the way God intended it to be and a result of complexities and, and uh, in, in a fallen world. But Scripture never says that homosexual feeling, same-sex attraction is a sin, but to act on that, the practice of, is what gets highlighted consistently in Scripture. So these are things that Paul singled out <clears throat> about the church in Corinth, but I wonder if Paul was to write a letter to the church at the Wesley Foundation at MSU, what would he, what, what's, what would be on the laundry list that he would name for us to be called out to according to God's biblical vision for sexuality? Um, or another way to say it, in what ways are we, we here in this room, in what ways are we so culturally formed that we need to be called up to God's grand vision for female and male? Okay, so the kingdom is the goal, but we are prone to not kingdom ways. Here comes the solution. The third truth that you can't miss is that you were blank. You were washed, made holy, made right with God. These three important words are the hinge that moves us, that swings the door from what you were to what you now are. 
that you were that, you did do that. Yes, that is in your past. But in Christ, you were washed, you're made holy, you're made right with God. And that's what Jesus had in mind when uh, John ate the scene with the woman that he rescued from being stoned because she'd been caught in the act. And he stepped in, and he, um, the story ends with, with her being rescued from, from the judgment and the punishment. And the last words of the story are these that Jesus said. He said, go and sin no more. Um, what he had in mind was that you were, but now you're washed, made holy, right with God. Go and sin no more. Go do things differently now. These three important words. One, washed. Think, uh, think you've been mud riding, and then you go to the car wash, and you wash, and you not only get it clean, but like you wash away, you wash off. All the mud. That's, the, that's the, the connotation of this word washing, to wash away, to wash off. And it's a past tense verb that in the past when you trusted Jesus, you were washed. You have been washed. You are in a state of having been washed already because you're in Jesus. Second word, made holy. Um, we tend to think that made holy means that you're made morally perfect. And that's really not what holy means. There is an implication for that. But to be made holy is to be set apart for, some, for special use, which has an implication of moral perfection because if God is morally perfect, and he is, then, then we kind of feel the need to, be, to match up. Um, so it does have that implication. But essentially, to be made holy is to be set apart to be dedicated, devoted for special use. The point here is that, that if you were sexually broken and active in the practice of your sexually, sexual brokenness, but then you're washed in Jesus, then you are now set apart, devoted. Your sexuality even gets set apart and devoted for special use according to God's grand vision. That's what it means for your sexuality to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be renewed, to be used as God intended. And then the third important word there is that you're made right with God. This is legal language. Um, it says that you are so forgiven, so made new, so washed, that there's nothing between you and God that would hold you back, that would separate you from, from God. So this is Jesus' remedy for all brokenness. This is Jesus' remedy for our sexual brokenness. You were fill in your blank. But now you are washed, you're made holy. Made right with God. So wherever you're bogged down in brokenness, wherever you feel bogged down in your own brokenness tonight, Understand that this is the reality that Jesus creates for you. Washed, holy, made right with God. All right. Well, if you're going to be a sex prophet, and if you're going to be a true one at that, then uh, let's get into some biblically grounded wisdom, truth, and other various good ideas. <laughs> uh, first of all, be theologically formed instead of culturally shaped. Be theologically formed instead of culturally shaped. <clears throat> and this is review. We've talked about this some in, in past weeks. 
But, but four big pieces of the biblical vision for relationships and sexuality are image of God, one flesh, relationship, new creation. And, and I'm not going to go into any more on those now, but if you want a little makeup session, I'd be glad to, uh, you could just press any of those buttons and I'd be glad to talk uh, on those later. But a fourth one, um, part of the biblical vision for relationships and sexuality is, is do it for the kingdom. Do it. For the sake of the kingdom, do it for the sake of, of marriage. Um, Katie told me that she heard it expressed this way just recently, and it makes a lot of sense, that as a single person, as a single person, uh, would you actively choose abstinence from sex for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of marriage? As a single person, would you, would you actively choose and that may even be like a daily choice. You choose it today, you choose it again tomorrow. But, but pre-choose before you get into a situation. Would, would you actively choose abstinence from sex for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of marriage, for the sake of your possible future marriage, for the sake of whoever else's possible future marriage, just for the sake of marriage in general? Would you actively make the choice to abstain from sex for the sake of the kingdom? Be theologically formed like that, instead of being so culturally shaped. All right, how else to date like a sex prophet? And this is just a general list of, of thoughts, and, thoughts and ideas along the way. Have fun and laugh a lot. If, if a relationship is going to have a chance to, to grow and to get to know each other, those are important ingredients. Do active activities. Uh, avoid passive dates. Uh, don't watch a movie. Don't just sit there. Uh, do something active. Play a game. Work out. Exercise. Do community service. Mission work. Cook a meal. Um, but do active things together. Along the way, be sure you find and maintain your deepest intimacy in the source of your ultimate identity, that being God. Don't look to a creature to give you the intimacy and identity that you should look to your creator to give to you. Self-control. Practice it. Expect it. Um, widen other relationships, even as like a romantic interest is growing. The tendency is... That as I get more interested in you, the rest of my world just kind of like falls off and I'm just interested in you. And that's one of the most unhealthy things you can do in the context of an of a early dating, growing relationship. Um, don't be afraid that if you wide, keep your other relationships wide, that that's going to hurt this relationship. Uh, the, the wider your other relationships are, that actually helps you be a more mature, grounded person and and then helps a, a new relationship that may be growing and forming. But resist the narrowing of other relationships in the, in the context of a dating relationship. Major in communication, whatever else you're majoring in, major in communication. Um, learn to listen twice as much as you talk. Um, Right, you got two ears, one mouth, so right there sets up a pretty good indication. Listen twice as much as you talk. But if both of you are listening twice as much as you talk, then doesn't that create a, an imbalance? That might create some silent time where maybe you're listening to God or music or something. I don't know, but um, just listen 
Major in communication and be sure listening is a part of that. Hey, this is important to get to know somebody that you're getting to know in the context of each other's primary relationships. Uh, don't hide your family. Um, don't pretend that you're not friends with those people. Um, get to know each other in the context of each other's uh, relationships. Hey, it is not enough to start something with somebody, a date, just because you think he's cute. That is not nearly enough. Don't give somebody two hours of your life just because you think that, that they're an attractive human being. Know something more. Know something more substantial about a person than that you, can, you appreciate the way they, they look or you like their laugh or whatever. Know something more substantial. Know something more substantial about a person before you even take a first step of, of even a date. Um, base initial interest or more than physical attraction. Um, get to know each other without uh, entanglements that complicate relationship, emotional dependency, uh, physical involvement. Just get to know the person apart from entanglements. <clears throat> Keep affection appropriate. Remember the biblical boundaries that, that we have. It's about as old-fashioned as it could get when you go back to Genesis 1 and 2. But that's where we go. The heart of the biblical vision for our sexuality is in Genesis 1 and 2. Where God created us male and female, that means that you're going to have those feelings, you're going to have those desires. But He also created male and female for the covenant of marriage. That that's where sex has its, has its day. So keep affection appropriate. Um, sexual involvement will glue you together as it's supposed to within the covenant of marriage. Um, so keep the glue on the shelf. Hey, look for and grow in a dating relationship. Look for and grow a spiritual connection. But, but you can become unhealthily spiritually entangled as well as emotionally spiritually entangled. Um, Grow, develop that part of, of you in a dating relationship. But don't overdo it too soon, too early. Avoid over-communication too much too soon. Avoid being constantly connected. I find it refreshing when I speak to a, a, a dating couple. And, uh, and I might casually mention, so, you know, so what's Patrick up to today? And, um, like, and if she doesn't know... I think that's pretty awesome. That you, 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 I mean, they're engaged. They're, they should start keeping up with each other. But, um, but something refreshing. Don't be over, overly connected. Don't over-communicate. Um, don't rush to label a relationship. Also, avoid leaving it in this weird, ambiguous state where it's just kind of floating in what is it. But there's a, there's a healthy balance there. Don't rush to label it, but don't leave it ambiguous either. Take care of business. Um, hey, and this is hard, but if it's going nowhere, some relationships need to be ended. And if a relationship needs to be ended, then sooner is better than, than later. I'd urge you in, in a dating relationship that kind of continues 
to, to you know, where you continue to see each other, to grow independently of each other. Don't just so narrow your world that everything hinges on each other, but grow independently. That, that really will not grow you apart. It'll just grow you deeper, and if you're both growing deeper, that's a good thing. Um, avoid building uh, your lives around each other just yet in those early stages of a dating thing. Um, if this continues, and if you begin to covenantally plan a life together, then there will be time for that. And always remember, blessing the blessings are within the boundaries. That's a biblical truth that just transcends all issues, that the blessings are within the boundaries. Um, um, y'all mind if I give just a short uh, clinic on how to break up? Um, because you've seen, you've seen some bad breakups. Um, I've seen some bad breakups. I, I just want to share a few things. I mean, you've got some bulleted points, and, but a, a couple of things. Um, one, would, would you own your responsibility in a breakup, um, even if it's like not your fault or it's not anybody's fault? But would you just be so big as to own your contribution that made the thing not work like you wished it had worked and that led to the breakup? Own your responsibility. And, um, and would you do me a favor? I'll take it as a personal favor if you do not blame God for the breakup. Um, and if you do, I might come after you. That is a hurtful thing to say to somebody, God told me to break up with you. If God told you to break up with somebody, then there's probably something more wrong with you than there is with the person. And he's probably rescuing that person from you by telling you to break up with that person. Don't play the, don't play the God card. Because if, if God genuinely is telling you to break up, then there, there, there could be a scenario. But, but you own it. Own it as your, own it as your, as your own. God may, be, God may be whispering something to you, but you process it through your own and uh, don't say those hurtful words. Forgiveness is so important. Um, be generous with forgiveness. Give and receive for the sake of moving on. Um, do necessary grief work. That might even mean need to talk to somebody, a counselor, a pastor, campus minister. Linda Griffith has the best set of ears I know. Talk to somebody. Do the, the grief work that is necessary to, to sort something out. And then finally, I think this, is maybe, um, this may be one of the most important things of all. When there's a breakup that happens, um, plan a time of follow-up. A week later, or two weeks later, or a month later, or leave it open-ended. That at any time, at any point, if you have follow-up questions or comments or rants, I'm available do that for the sake of recovery and moving on. But um, the worst breakups are the kind that happen, and then we never talk again. Um, so follow up. Okay, so if you don't break up, and you are dating, and you're moving on, how do I know, what's that magic point where <clears throat> I realize, okay, this is a Marian kind of relationship? Um, I was really slow about that, Linda. I am eternally sorry that I was slow. <laughs> Remember what I said about forgiveness a minute ago? So. Um, um, 
But how do you know if a relationship is the marrying kind? I've got a list of some things there in that next section. And, and what I do not mean this as is a checklist that if you can check all these boxes, then it's green light go. What, 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 the way you need to take this list is that these are basically building blocks. These are aspects of a, of a marriage relationship. And if you see these component parts either as a strength in your relationship or with solid growth potential, then you really may be looking at um, a Marian kind of relationship. Communication, conflict resolution, um, habits, personality, partner style, um, finances. doesn't necessarily mean you have a lot of money. It just means that you're together, yet you have common ground attitudes. Leisure activities, it doesn't mean that you do everything together all the time. It means you have a good balance of things together and things, and things apart. Um, family and friends. Your roles. I mean, how do you see a marriage? Are you... Uh, if one of you is strongly complementarian and one of you is strongly egalitarian, then that's likely a difficult mix. Um, spiritual beliefs, your expectations, um, idealism, the family that you grew up and came from, all these, all these things are parts of building blocks that, that together you can build a life together. Um, I heard Linda say it in the past that, 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 that the point at which you kind of know that a relationship is a marrying relationship and not just a dating thing is when you come to the realization that you want to build your life together, that you want to build a life together. And that's, uh, that may seem oversimplified, but that really gets at the heart of it. And these... Um, Things, these areas are the building blocks for building such a life together. So if the data adds up, you know, we, we, we check off pretty good down this list of building blocks. And if the desire is there to build a life together, then you may be looking at a green light to go. Does the data add up? And is the desire there to do it? Okay, one last section. Um... If you find yourself in a relationship that, that is the marrying kind, and, and whether you're engaged already or, or not, but you, you feel like it's that kind of relationship and you're headed that way, here's, here's, here's some items that are healthy environment for the growth of a relationship toward, toward marriage. Um, common ground. Uh, obviously, there's already common ground if you've gotten this far. You've been building on common ground. But does there continue to be common ground? Um, is there, when you look out before uh, this relationship, do you see continued common ground on which you'd build and do life together? This is uh, spiritually speaking. This is also just in terms of, of life goals and something even as ordinary as, as sense of humor. But is there common ground that is the stuff that you would build a life together on? Is there growth potential? Um, is the relationship plateaued um, and there's just no further growth? Or is there still growth potential, desire to grow, willingness to grow from where you are? The next one may, may seem kind of dumb to be on the list, um, enjoyment. I mean, but, but sometimes a relationship can, can just kind of functionally move along 
and you realize that we're really not enjoying this like we like we used to. So be sure that enjoyment of the relationship is is an ongoing, continuing thing. The next one, see see this is a spectrum, uh, a spectrum kind of from choice to covenant with commitment somewhere in the middle. Um, a dating relationship that turns toward a marrying kind of relationship, it began it began with a choice to to date. <laughs> And then it continued, and, and that choice turned into somewhat of a commitment that turned into a little bit more of a firm commitment to a point where you're feeling really pretty committed to a point where you're looking toward the future, and then you come to the other end of the spectrum, which is covenant, the, which is more than a commitment. It is a, like a three-way agreement between husband, wife, and, and God, the Creator, that we're going to do this thing together. Um, so a, a relationship that's growing toward marriage is steadily moving from that choice to covenant spectrum. A fifth one um, for the growth toward marriage is that the relationship becomes increasingly sacrificial in which you're willing to um, die to yourself for the sake of the other. And it's a whole lot easier to throw yourself in front of a train to save the other than it is to die daily. Um, but is there increasing sacrifice um, of self? Edification, dropping a fancy Bible word on you there because it's a good word. We don't really have a word that exactly means that. Um, but edification, it just means the building up of each other. Uh, a relationship that's moving on toward marriage should be consistently, um, increasingly edifying, building each other up, that we are better together. Um, in the beautiful language of Ephesians 5, where Paul writes about husband and wife, he draws on the image of, of Christ loving the church, and he calls husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church, that he gave himself up for the church to make the church holy and he calls husbands to that same kind of sacrificial and edifying love for wife. Expectations. Um, what do you expect? Um, be aware of your expectations. Because sometimes this is a place, this, this is an exit ramp for some folks in the move toward marriage. If you realize that you know my expectations and your expectations are kind of going in two different directions, so... We just need to kind of go ahead and exit off and not keep going toward marriage with this thing. Expectations of each other. It is really easy to have unrealistic expectations of one that you're moving toward marriage and then, and then in marriage. Um, sometimes the expectations are set too low. Sometimes the expectations are set too high. So tune in to your expectations. But also beyond just expectations within the relationship, their expectations of what our life together is going to be like. Um, be sure there's common ground in your shared expectations there. And then finally, a healthy environment for the growth of a relationship toward marriage includes counting the cost. Um, Jesus wasn't necessarily talking about marriage when he said that, but I think it very much applies. There's this biblical principle that if you're going to do a thing, Understand the commitment 
that it takes to do that thing. And then do it. But just know what it's going to cost. And pay the price gladly. Um, am, I willing, uh, am I willing to commit to accept the mix of assets and liabilities my partner brings into our relationship? Am I willing to accept the mix of assets and liabilities that my partner brings into this relationship? That's part of counting the cost. And do I commit to maximizing my assets and limiting my liabilities for the sake of my partner? Am I committed? Am I covenanting to maximize my assets and limit my liabilities for the sake of my partner? Um, the word vocation comes into play here. And, and, and vocation is a, it's a rich spiritual word. It, it doesn't just mean your job and it doesn't mean your career. It means something deeper than your job or your career. It, it comes from a Latin word actually that means voice. Your vocation is it's, it's, um, it's just what, it's the thing that your life desires to do. Somebody said that, 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 that your vocation is what you want to do with your life. And then somebody improved on that definition and said, no, your vocation is what your life wants to do with you. Your vocation is this voice that wells up within you and says, hey, buddy, this is what we should do. And when you tap into that, then, then you're really going somewhere significant. Marriage is vocational in that sense. Marriage is a, a vocation. There comes this point in a relationship where it's almost like a voice rises up. And it's not just an emotional thing. And it's not just like a... a feely kind of thing, but it's, it, there comes this point where a, a voice kind of rises up from your gut, and the data is there. This is, this is, a, this is worth pursuing, and the desire is there, and, and it's like this voice just, just says, hey, buddy, this is a, this is a green light. Um, think of marriage in terms of vocation, um, that it's, it's something that you, you don't just like stumble into. It's something that you intentionally move into. And then it's something that you live out with all you've got as long as you've got to live. Um, think of marriage as, as a vocation. And that's uh, a helpful way to understand and maybe to see the difference between where you are and where you may be headed. All right. I think we've come to a good place to come in for a landing tonight. And I just want to leave it here at, at this place. Um, a lot of information, a lot of words, a lot of ideas, a lot of concepts. But what I want to urge you toward now is to make the shift from information to transformation. Um, what did you hear in terms of information that really could make a, a transformational difference in you, in your life, current dating thing you're doing uh, maybe you're engaged to be married maybe you're already married um, what, what's, what's the information that you heard that applied in the context of your life could bring transformation and, uh, and if you're looking for something here's one I'd suggest would you actively choose to abstain from sex until unless there comes a point in your life where you're married. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of marriage, would you actively choose um, sex by God's grand vision for us?
whatever the transformational thing is that you're seizing on. Um, let's lift that up now in a word of prayer. God, this whole marriage thing, relationship thing, male and female thing, it was your idea. So we come to you. We come to you for the, the help that we need. When we come to you, we're, we're coming to the one who invented it, the one who knows it, the one who knows us. So, Holy Spirit, would you just reach very personally into the depths of each person in this room? And would you, um, would you just apply your truth where we need it? Would you bring uh, forgiveness and freshness where that's needed? Would you, because you know us and because you know relationships, would you just reach in to right where we are? Heal us, forgive us, comfort us, equip us, challenge us, call us up to your grand vision for all that you created us to be. That's our hope and our prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen.